Hi, everyone, and welcome to Plugged and Unplanned. It's Tony Nash back with you again, the CEO of Booktopia, and I have another author for you. Hot off the press, a new book, It's Not Always Right to Be Right, Another Hard-Won Leadership Lessons by Hamish Thompson, and the publisher is John Wiley, and your, your book, Hamish, was published on the 1st of February, which is very current for those that are listening uh, immediately within February of 2021. And for those that are listening to this um, in a long time from now, um, we're still in COVID. Uh, we're still learning you know, lessons, leadership lessons. Welcome to the program, Hamish. Thank you very much, Tony. Delighted to be here. And your book, it's not always right to be right. I mean, it's, um, I don't know whether my wife probably should have been writing this book uh, with a heading title like that. Um, I seem to be reminded of, well, you know, when I saw the title, it's like, well, I've heard that before. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of jokes around around that and, and, you know, relationship dynamics. But I guess in many ways, like, um, you know, I'm the CEO of Booktopia, but at home, yeah, you know, I report to the CEO. And, and so there must be, this must be a book, it's a business book, but it must be quite helpful, I think, for friendships, uh, relationships, and so forth. Is, it, is that what you have come to find? I think so. And it's um, it's interesting, Tony, that you mentioned in regard to your wife mentioning that. I think partners relate to it. Um, I've always viewed personal relationships are very similar in regard to business as well. It is the same sort of ethos and it's that sort of point of authenticity as well. You don't want to be somebody separate at home as to you are at, uh, at work. It's almost too tiring to do that. And I think the whole sort of principle on it, no matter how intellectual, strategic, agility, pragmatic, dogmatic you may be, at times it's not always right to be right. You get told that regularly from your partner. You get told that within a work sense as well. And as a sort of, from my sort of perspective, probably the biggest learning I've had within my career has been start thinking around your depth of relationships when you interact with people. Not on just the results, results are important, but what are those enduring mutual relationships and how do they develop longer? Um, and unfortunately, why well, I say unfortunately, maybe fortunately, your partners are normally the most uh, most correct ones and spot your awareness before you do. Yes, well, certainly in my case, because, you know, Kath can can see me at, uh, you know, at at when I'm, you know, perhaps not on, you know, not in uniform or not, you know, not with my battle gear on, perhaps at work, I don't know. And therefore, um, you, you're getting you're getting feedback, and you don't really want it, but you know it's right. And then you got to stop and listen, and you've got to you got to consider it. And then even though the initiative to 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 go to you know fight for your you know your right to be right. Um, do you talk a little bit about that, about um, um, uncovering? I mean, it's, and you said other hard-won le- won leadership lessons is also the title of uh, the book. It's not just about right and, and and not always being right. So, but you talk. Do you talk about that? Do you talk about how to stop yourself? Um, you're about to, you, you know, all the buttons or a button is being pressed, and then you're just starting to ignite, and you can feel. Um, the, the fire starting to kick in. How do you, what do you do? Yeah. What's your experience there? Listen, we, we, all, we all have that, don't we? Suddenly the, uh, the emotional reaction to a situation, when, particularly when you're under pressure, it sort of builds at uh, different times. 
I've, um, Tony, probably like you, I've been doing this game sort of 30 years. I've had, uh, you know, last 12 to 13 years, you know, big multinational sort of CEOs, half billion dollar sort of businesses. Um, I haven't been the entrepreneur, obviously, sort of on, on your side on that. But I think the key to it, when you have that experience, you start to realize that there is a longer term game. You need to almost step back, depersonalize situations. Um, look at it more in a pragmatic business sense. And I think it does make you start to realize that the technical and functional skills that you've developed are important, but really the hard one leadership lessons, you know, and I uh, think I've put around 18 within the book itself. Those are the ones that are going to make the massive difference. Mm. So I've got the, one of the things I like to do is, is cheat a little up. Just for everyone that's listening who's not heard of Plugged and Unplanned before, I really don't like to go into the book too much. You know, we want, Hamish and I want you to buy it, of course. Um, uh, so we're not going to give too much away. What we're going to try and do is pique your interest and make, make you consider buying the book and think um, there's some, you know, that you've already got quite a few interesting insights here in this conversation. So, you know, by all means, you're invited to you know, make a purchase and, and get a copy for yourself. Be, be it through Booktopia or any good bookstore or bad bookstore, who cares, a, a bookstore, you know, whoever's selling it, buy it. That's what I say. Um, so, but what I do like to do sometimes is cheat a little and just look at the, the chapter headings, especially for books by uh, Wiley, which are quite often business books. It's always a, you know, a starting point of a conversation. So I'm going to just, you know, randomly pick one here. Um, the, th the three A's and one critical E. So uh, just without going into, you know, giving the story away, but just tell us a little bit about that, about that for us. Yeah, so I've, um, as I said, my background, I've worked within different regional, within global roles, different, um, you know, spent probably half my adult life um, across within Europe and a fair bit within the US as well. And one of the most frustrating elements, and I think um, probably people can get this, and it relates back to relationships, is a global and a local interaction, a centralized group, and then a local group as, as in itself. And unfortunately, when you're within a local group, you often blame a global group. You blame the centralized. They're slowing us down. There's not the pace and agility that we want. And it's always so easy to criticize within that. Likewise, when you're a global group, you're not immersed within that local operational detail. And um, you do get very frustrated. And at times, you don't start inspiring. So I've always had a concept that I've introduced both global and local. And I've termed it the three A's. And you either, particularly within a global role, you assist, you add value, or you accelerate. And if you don't do one of those things, you exit. I would have liked Tony to have had that little wee to be a fourth A, but I wasn't that clever um, in regard to sort of my thoughts. But it's basically you do one of those three things, otherwise you exit. And it's important from a global role not to slow down and to view, in my mind, of a service mentality for local markets. How can you assist them? How can you add value? or how can you accelerate their plan development? And so many times reports are demanded, papers are pushed from one side to the other, a lot of discussion, but it's not value add. And that's probably been one of my biggest frustrations. But likewise, within the book, I do talk around the responsibility of a local market and a local operation. You need to 
not be closed off. You need to be vulnerable. You need to be open and honest because fresh eyes and perspective coming in is incredibly valuable. Um, but it's just a really good lesson, uh, le lesson I think, that I've learned along the way. And previously, Tony, I was an absolute nightmare, the not invented here syndrome. If Global said left, I'd say go right. My experience within Reebok, I uh, was very successful across within Europe, but I always did differently, things differently from Global. Um, and it was short-sighted, it was narrow, where I should have been partnering and more helping within success. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, so um, just to be out of curiosity, because Booktopia is mostly um, you know, Sydney-based. We do have a small team in Melbourne uh, that's uh, from um, taking over Angst and Robertson uh, six years ago. And we've got a team in the Philippines as well, which is uh, supporting our customer service team of 25 people here in Sydney, as well as our market, digital marketing teams and, and product teams. And so um, that we, we are expanding, but not to the same level in terms of having a replica of what we do here. So, but as we grow, and of course, most people now know that Booktopia listed on the ASX in 2020, um, there, is, there are plans to expand. And therefore with what you just said, it's like, hmm, okay, I've got to keep my, I've got to, I've got to put that into my memory because that makes a lot of sense to me. But just so I can understand though, is it two ways? So when you talk about accelerating or adding value, if you're the local group and you're reporting back to, to head office, is it, is it the same kind of mantra and message that they, and mission that they've got to kind of work towards as well, which will then um, give them, you know, they'll, they'll get it returned in spades if they continue to operate at that level? Just, or is it just from the yeah. top down? No, no, no. It, it's obviously, you know, they're not mutually exclusive on that, but um, it is the same, but it's slightly different. So if you're a local market, your first responsibility, and let's take the Philippines example you mentioned, they're accountable and they're responsible for delivering an agreed set of numbers. So that goes beyond anything. And you only um, deliver freedom and earn freedom once you actually deliver those numbers. So that's first and foremost. But likewise, what an opportunity for a local market to actually step up and provide the central depository, in your case, uh, Booktopia within Australia, as new models, new ways of working, new challenges, thought processes. So obviously, Tony, you guys, are, you're very entrepreneurial. You've done things differently. You started, and the story is an amazing one to get to the IPO. Um, but you did things differently. Now that you're developing a portfolio, you obviously want some of those markets and some of those local units or different divisions. You want them to inspire you to do things differently. And that's the beauty around smaller markets, wider portfolios. You can have a little bit of a risk mentality where if it fails, it's not the end of the world. Um, but you're wanting people to be almost in a challenger model and a challenger mindset. Um, you have to do the basics first, um, but what an opportunity. Now, unfortunately, a lot of global will think the role of a local market or a local division is executional excellence and nothing else. But unless you use those markets and that portfolio to do something different, how will you ever actually raise that bar to the next level? Uh, so I think it's definitely two ways. Interesting. So, so given, I mean, you've got a certain style, people have worked for you before, they've learned over time how you operate and you've brought all of this kind of ethos and, and practicality to your the workplace and, and 
and I can tell by it from the book you've got um, nice nice reviews and and support from people who have worked with you for you um, and so forth. Do, have you found um, that um, how, when you've got um, someone in your organization who who just is will never ever sign up to that kind of thinking and that kind of beliefs belief system or or just you know modeling of of how it's kind of a bit of a win-win kind of environment do, do you have to whittle them out of your organization or do you just simply keep pressing um this kind of model that eventually they go oh, you know it's not what it used to be you know there was a lot of right and wrong before not that i'll ever say that but you know there was just not like the good old days, you know, when you could really bitch to people and and you know blame people and and so, um, how how is that kind of because you've got a lot of um, commercial experience on this, so you're not just an author who's been studying at uni and consulting for um, a big practice, a big um, consulting firm, and kind of worked with organisations. You've actually been in there and you've seen and you've deployed some of this this these kind of processes. It's um. Yeah, Tony, I, I, I look at it and uh, I reckon most CEOs or most leaders, most people, when they stop, you ask them, are there any things you do differently? And I think virtually everyone says, gee, I wish I'd go bolder and even faster than before. And whether you would say that, I don't know, because you've got <laughs> reasonably bold, reasonably fast. But I think most people think they'd like to do it even better. Previously, I've probably waited too long to move people out of the business. And um, I'm a leader who definitely likes to inspire, I challenge, I stretch people and develop, but I'm always wanting new and different. But equally, I'm also a leader that I want people to respect me, but I do believe the value of friendship as well. And I just think that's important and people will walk over coals for people that they actually respect and have friendship. However, the downside is that it's sometimes you may be a little bit too slow to move people on. I've got a chapter there which uh, comes from an advertising agency globally called Drains and Radiators. And I think it almost speaks for itself, but we know what a drain is within a business. And you mentioned that around having limiting beliefs. You talk around possibilities and vision. We can go from here. And most people are open to ideas, new possibilities in different direction. They change ahead of the curve and they lead versus the manage. A drain is one of those who is obviously very pessimistic, but views past experiences as indicators of what can and can't be done. And they drain negativity and remove inspiration wider within the business. Now, I always talk around, there's nothing worse than having a drain around you as a leader. There is having a drain around the rest of your team as a business. It actually radiates right through. So I think um, my experience is I wish I'd moved someone uh, further um, and I wish I'd focused more on those people who radiate, give possibility um, within the business. And it's the best form of engagement uh, that, that, uh, that I definitely see. You, you've reminded me of a, of a book, um, that chapter, there was a book written I think it was in the 80s um and it was sap versus zap um and it's one of those little little business books you know like a a parable 
business parable, which is my favorite because you can read them really quickly and uh, you get the message. In fact, you just need to listen to the title. You know, people either sap you or they zap you and drain versus radiator is a, is a similar, you know, similar theme. And it's, it's, it's an interesting. Um, you've included that in your book. I like that because I've, that's, that's stuck with me actually that, uh, that little book and that little, you know, the little message. Yeah, there, there's there's one thing I was um, I was exposed to an equation from a communications agency, and it said C plus W is greater than E. Curiosity and willingness, and I term willingness passion, is greater than experience. And it's not always the case. Sometimes in recruiting, you need operational excellence and technical and functional skills. But if somebody has got curiosity and insatiable thirst for perspective and they have a willingness and a passion to learn, they just radiate energy and they'll make up for that with a lack of direct experience. Um, And I I absolutely love that. And I I think the amount of time and effort that I've spent on engagement surveys through Gallup, which are wonderful satisfaction surveys, cultural pulse surveys, and they're all good. And you dot motivational coloured posters all around the walls, et cetera, and you have team sessions. And it's, uh, you know, it's, um, it's beneficial and it is linked to productivity. However, if I have my time again and when I do get back into sort of big, bad corporate world again, um, my focus will be on bringing the radiators, remove the drains. But it doesn't mean that you don't want a hard-ass chief financial officer who's the provocateur and the challenger. You always want those people, but you don't want closed-off people because um, that's the death, particularly within quite slow multinationals at times. Mm. I mean, you can always tell people who are sucking the energy out of a room or a meeting or a business or a team um, and those that are making it happen. So that makes sense. I've got to ask you about one one chapter here. We won't go into too many more because, as I said, we want people to buy it's not always right to be right. Another hard-won leadership lesson by Hamish Thompson. Um, what would Margaret Thatcher say? Well, that's an interesting chapter heading. Um, what, what's that all about? She's, um, when she died, and I uh, can't remember the exact date, but um, we were living in the north of England. And uh, I'm a pretty apolitical person um, o- overall. And the polarization around <laughs> Margaret Thatcher was just unbelievable. I was just taken back by it. And uh, you speak to any of the North England, the mining community, a lot of us sort of good friends up there. Um, just even the mention of her as sacrilege. One thing Margaret Thatcher was, I think, exceptional at, and forgiving her uh, policies, was she was a conviction leader. And she generally had a view of, um, I know more around a subject than anyone else. This is the path we're following. Follow me. And in a turnaround situation within a business, it's uh, that's exactly. People don't want discussion. They don't want answers so much. They just want give me direction. Everything else we haven't followed. And I loved that. But one thing uh, uh, Thatcher had said was it's important to be respected, but you don't need to be liked. And this is what I mentioned earlier, Tony. That I agree on that. That respect as a leader is undeniably the most important thing if you, unless you've got respect you won't face uh, uh, you won't face into anything you won't get people to actually uh, work for you however over my time and I'm sure it's similar to to everyone else 
when you think around where are those areas where I've gone over and beyond, not just within my job description, where have I put in extra hours, effort, and a diligence and a commitment and accountability that I've probably never shown before? And you're not doing it necessarily for yourself. You're doing it for a higher purpose or for the benefit of others. And every single time I've done that is with a leader who I actually respect, but I've also got friendship with. And Thatcher wouldn't have agreed with that, but um, I just think it's a newer philosophy and approach. My father was a Ford dealer for uh, a dealer principal for 40 years back in New Zealand, and he was a wonderful, um, he's passed away now, but he's a wonderful man, apparently a great leader, but he always had that old philosophy of when you became moved from a salesperson to a sales manager, there was a slight difference. You had to sort of put your mateship sort of at hold, and that was almost that old philosophy. And I'm not saying it's a wrong philosophy, but my approach on this is those leaders who are popular and respected, but respect always first, people will do uh, extraordinary things. Um, it, um, as I said, everyone's got different sort of views on it, but that's, uh, that's what that chapter relates to. And there's a way obviously to go around that, providing you're authentic. Don't change uh, friendship just for the, for the sake of results. Very interesting. As a CEO, obviously, um, of a, a larger company now, it was very small. It was just me 17 years ago. Um, but I've never really um, you know, contemplated respect in that way. It's a bit of a currency when you talk about it in terms of, um, I guess, you, know, you, you hear of you know, sports celebrities, um, politicians, People who have earned, who have who have gained respect, and then self sabotage or did something to just obliterate it, and and a lot of people, are, me included, I don't think I even um, you know put that in the forefront of my considerations when I might do something or not do something, or um, and how much you've actually accumulated, how much respect have you accumulated over time, and therefore are you putting it uh, to good use in terms of what that might then mean to to um, productivity, um, learning on the job, um, inspiring someone to do something, coming up with ideas that I would never come up with, but are brilliant ideas, all those things that um, it's, a, it's an interesting area. I, I might spend a bit more time thinking about it. that's kind of the way that I operate. I like to um, consider you know consider a, a word or an attribute, a you know, human attribute. Um, and then, and then, how can I, how can I, be better at that, or you know, what what can I do with that? It's, it's that's a really good one. I never and uh, Margaret Thatcher, she was pretty, um, she was pretty rock solid when it came to, you know, the, they didn't call her the Iron Maiden for nothing. Um, true, true. I, I I think I always look at it back about um, what are your inherent values and. Uh, I'm one of these people who my wife says that I sit on the fence many times, but uh, I don't think things are right or wrong. I think they're just different. And the values that I've always had from uh, ingrained with me from an early age is about trust, dignity, and respect. And if you do show respect to others within a business sense, it'll come back to you. Uh, it always it always does, but as I said, people will do extraordinary things for people they respect and actually like. And 
the humility of a good leader who thinks of others ahead of themselves, which I do think only comes with age. I wish I had done that in my early sort of 20s, but uh, no, like everyone, well, like most, I was self-centered. Um, but when you start to think there's a shared purpose, a overall vision and purpose that helps others ahead of yourself, including developing, coaching, mentoring, inspiring others, um, and unlocking potential within others, it is a pretty cool feeling on that. But I do think, Tony, it comes back to what are your values to begin with? Are you being authentic to those values? Um, and if I think you are, um, I don't think it's a, it's a bad recipe for continued success, but equally for people actually getting behind you and doing the, some things pretty special. Mm. My, my thing has always been to um, allow people to get on with it and and make them feel empowered to do those things. Um, probably because I'm really lazy and um, the more that they can do the work, the better it is. I know others are control freaks who need to be across everything. That's definitely not me. I say that with a tongue in cheek, but truthfully, having come from recruitment of 14 years before I, um, well, I was a, I started my, my first company in, in 96 was a recruitment agency. So, so I pinched people from companies and put them into other companies. And so, me, it was always about career development. Uh, it was about, oh, great, you've learned those skills there. And if you get into here, you're going to learn more and then be of more value to yourself, your family, the people you work for, and uh, and business and society. So um, so for me, it's always been important to be able to, um, to empower people, to make them have, you know, have their career develop. Right? That's what I've always wanted to know. And if someone comes in and resigns, I'm not sitting there freaking out. I'm going, really? Wow, where are you going next? Because if you don't want to be here, which is an incredible place to work, then you must be going somewhere uh, tremendously exciting. And and that way, I've also never um, had this um, background tactics to try and hoard people, keep people, and you living from the fear of them leaving um, has never been a, an issue for me. Just keep creating a an amazing place to work where they want to they choose to show up every day rather than rather than than not so that's that's how i operate it's, I, I i do like that very much it's um i was trying within uh, a manufacturing environment and i actually my, my background's mainly marketing or sales but i've uh, run all the supply divisions within mars uh, on that front and I like the manufacturing aspect, but a lot of people have always talked around with the manufacturing. You don't need to sort of train and develop people too much, given the operational um, you know, foundations. And my view on it is I wanted these individuals to be the most capable, most developed, most inspired group of associates that can be. And I always had pushback from a number of people saying, but the jobs won't be there. Um, the thought leadership required. And I counter that immediately, that great people will do extraordinary things within any position. But equally, even if the job is not available internally, what a wonderful thing that you've unlocked potential in somebody else to go and make a greater purpose outside. And there's a, the head of Mars Inc. at the moment, is a chap called Grant Reed, a Scotsman, and he says, uh, I'll try and get the quote right, he said, uh, performance without purpose is meaningless. Um, purpose without performance is impossible. And I absolutely loved that, loved that because it really, it shows that 
you can do things and you can make a hell of a lot of money. You can be incredibly successful, but unless you're making a difference through purpose, and in this case, I'm talking around purpose of unlocking potential, um, it is meaningless. But likewise, you can't just be Mr. <laughs> Mr. or Mrs. Nice that whole time and uh, not deliver performance because you won't make a difference uh, to mm. the wider side. So, um, yeah, I just think it comes back to good values to start. Mm, interesting. So so you've written the book. It's, it's your first, right? My first, yeah. Congratulations. So now your your business card will will say author of one of the one of the, the skills that you've accumulated over the years. Um, the um, and so congrats on that. When when you were writing, um, is this a um, a lockdown book, a COVID book that you would never have written had you not everyone been in COVID? No, I'm probably, uh, even though COVID's a terrible thing, it's, uh, this is the first time since probably the age of 23 that I haven't travelled <laughs> religiously. So uh, there's uh, the odd benefit that comes out of it, and that's been one to me. So, Tony, my, um, as I said, about 30 years, whatever, I've been the last 20 years sort of within a large multinational, and uh, probably just over a year ago, um, I, did, I resigned. My wife and former boss still think I'm crazy. Uh, I love the company very much, but... I just wanted to do something different, um, new, exciting for me um, and getting myself out of that comfort zone. So I've loved every minute since uh, since then. And I actually started off originally around this book. First night, I grabbed a bottle of wine and sat down and uh, wrote out um, leadership lessons that I think would help my kids. And I just started rattling off and I'm not a slow drinker and I uh, rattled off the bottle and I think I'd knocked out about 70 of these things. And when I looked at them, not one of them was technical or functional. It was all around these leadership lessons and uh, relationships sort of value. And um, the reason for the book was primarily, okay, how can I pass this on to my kids? And then as I started to document a little bit more, and then I had a discussion with Wiley and said, let's put it in a sort of a a format. Um, But I liked it. It's been different. It's been changed. Yeah, it's been different. It hasn't actually been as challenging as I thought. Now, my wife tells me daily I'm no Hemingway, and uh, she she says that quite correctly. But when you are being truthful and just putting it out there and those values and principles that are ingrained within you, um, and they'll change over time, and that's cool, um, it was actually quite easy to, to get out. I started the London uh, advertising scene many years ago as a copywriter, and I was a crap copywriter. Um, I heard an interview with, once with you, Tony, and I said you were a computer programmer and you thought, let's pass that on to somebody else uh, within sort of skill set wise. So um, I've sort of gone back to something I love, uh, but whether I'm that good at it, but uh, I think there's a few hopefully good lessons within the book. Yep, but, but there's not 70 chapters here. So there's got to be, <laughs> there's, there's 18 chapters. So there's got to be another... 50 of those life lessons that never made this one. So it could be, you may not be a Hemingway, but you could be a Tolkien and it could be a trilogy where there's, you know, there's a, two more books to come out of out of all those life lessons. I like your thinking of, uh, I had a concept um, probably around six weeks ago. It was called uh, Boring, Slow, Dated. Three words that every uh, large corporate needs to be told. And um, I'm still passionate of the believer of that. And you talked around before around um, empowering others. And within when you're within a large multinational, one of the frustrations when you look at entrepreneurial operations, uh, 
you know, like uh, Gabby from Cats of, uh, Cats of the Day or like a Booktopia, you see the pace and agility that you guys operate. And uh, it's very envious when we look at that. And I used to moan around it saying, come on, I'm demanding from my team. I want change. I want different leads as opposed to manage, get ahead of the curve, et cetera, et cetera. And I was always very frustrated at that, that um, I didn't generate the pace. And a coach pulled me aside and the, this chap was in the US and Colorado. And he said to me, he said, stop moaning, pull your head back in, Hamish. What you need to do is empower more than you've ever done before and accept massive mistakes and imperfections and under no circumstances direct people to do it your way. And it was so invaluable. So I still think you can get that pace and agility within a large multinational, but you have to provide that psychological safety. It's okay to fail. Um, you coach and develop, but you don't direct on that. So uh, it's the only way, particularly in operations with small resources, that you will be able to get ahead of that curve. Mm. I mean, if you think of companies like Amazon, I mean, they have they have been, you know, like us, multiplied by 100,000 in terms of every employees, projects, acquisitions, growth, uh, global expansion. It's, it's quite astonishing what they have been able to do. And there, there's been tons of mistakes. I know I've, I've heard of them where they've, they've tried to create some device. And uh, I think, it, I don't think it was for the Kindle. It was for something. I forget whether it was just another tablet and was already superseded so they just dump them and move on and you you've got to um the, the thing about me and with what we've done is that i'm very horizon point driven so i know where i've got to go to and therefore yeah i'm i'm really focused on that what i'm finding as we get bigger is i really didn't have to worry about whether there was a swamp in the middle of the valley to get to that you know mountaintop whether there was a desert whether there was a you know a, a tribe of cannibals, like I, you just kind of it, it was small enough. But as I'm getting as the book table is getting bigger, um, the planning that needs to go on to go from here to there is starting to take shape. And I've, I'm finding that that's quite interesting from my perspective. That um, no, no, we don't want the whole 220 people in the company going through that swamp because it's gonna slow us down, casualty, we've got to take that bit, bit of a longer road, but we're going to go over that ridge and then down to that plane and then up and we'll get there. That um, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it um, not because we're listed, not because of anything else other than that. that's the intuitive. That's the intuit so I've got to employ more people to then, um, and I was in a meeting yesterday with, uh, with my uh, pricing and inventory analysts and strategists and and we were just you know talking about this and talking about what we've what we've got to do and it's it's clear to me that although never really needed to have a team of people planning from and i talk about going from the day to day to the tomorrow tomorrow so and what have we got to you know what have you got to do to go from from where we are today to the tomorrow tomorrow and so because that tomorrow tomorrow will be just the day today because we're in the day to day of of today and so it's very is very very uh, uh, interesting, and and my my curiosity in terms of asking good questions around this, and, and you know what does it intuitively feel right uh, at this size to, to because there's a lot you know there's a lot riding on it. I guess now you, the investor group is much bigger. Um, it's it's 
I I'm I'm really enjoying this part of the process. It's uh it it is cool that and um you know knowing or wanting to ask those questions. Um, I'm I'm not sure what it is, but I think some people were just they have an insatiable mindset for curiosity and perspective. Um, I'm within this uh, book and uh, it's. Yeah, I've thought around it. Was I lazy within this? But I also got 17 contributing authors to come along and challenge at the end of every one of my chapter. Um, here's my views, my opinions, key lessons, etc. Um, these are each respected CEOs, global leaders, consultants, uh, diplomats, etc. And every one of them, I've basically said, uh, Tony, um, challenge, build, disregard, um, have a go at my thoughts and processes, but I love their perspective. And if you're curious, and I'm one of these people who can change on a dime, it can be very frustrating, but I'm a massive P within a Myers-Briggs site, so I like different and I like new. But if you're curious and open to new perspective and challenge, um, it's a wonderful thing for your vision and your your hindsight as well. So I think it's incredibly value. And uh, I think the best leaders out there are those who are open and believe that others' ideas are actually more valuable than your own. Um, that said, I also have a philosophy of 98% rule. Um, when you do get feedback and from these multinationals, my <laughs> God, you get a lot of feedback. 98% um, of it, throw it over your head. Uh, the 2% that really resonate with you, refine yourself, but never fundamentally change some of your views. But um, I just, uh, I like that openness. And just very quickly, I like what you said around your setting visions and paths. The more expanse that you guys go, your choices and your key strategic drivers are going to be absolutely critical. And having those very firm, here's my three or four strategic drivers of what do we play with? Where do we play? How do we play? And then what are the enablers? People want that in an organization. They want that firmness and clarity and then give them the creativity to execute with excellence below that. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's the beauty of um, some entrepreneurs and some leaders. Some people are not great at it and they're better at execution or excellence, and that's okay. Um, but it is getting that balance right, I think. Mm. It's very... it's. Very compelling. It's it's um, hopefully those that are listening to this um, podcast are, are being inspired to to think about you know, what their personal plan is, what their personal strategy is. But then you know, cheat by Hamish's book. It's not always right to be right. Another hard one. Leadership lessons. I mean, that's the truth. You know, people ask me, and they're like, um, "How did you, you know? How did you know with Booktopia um, to you know to, that?" That it was going to be this i had no idea it was going to be big i mean it just was one thing led to another but um ultimately once it got to a certain size i cheated i just went overseas and was looking at what other people were doing right and got perspective to go well what's not happening in australia so it's that same level of uh, and doing it all the time um it's not challenging the status quo but but not ex accepting that the status quo will will stay the same and and it's really important for Booktopia to constantly be nimble and making sure that um, because someone else is going to come along with something and we, we need to be um, flexible. But in saying that, though, and this is a bit of a, a share from Booktopia, 
Uh, it was about um, five or six years ago, we had bought Angus and Roberts and we also bought a camera business. And uh, what I wanted to do is demonstrate to future investors and we hadn't had any at that stage. Um, we, we're very good at books, but give us something else and we can be just as good because we know digital marketing, we know logistics, we know software, we know all these things. And so it's not about the book, it's about having the customer base, knowing how to uh, take care of customers online. So we, the camera, we bought the camera business. But, it was very different to the book business. And, and we had to put a lot of effort in the beginning to kind of get it up and going. In the meantime, the book business was continuing to grow and, and smash new records. And, and so then I decided to do a bit of research and, and I looked around the world, North America and Europe, and I go, what, what was it about some companies that were flourishing in an Amazon mature environment? What, what, were, what were they doing? And what I found out was they were focusing on one thing and doing it really, really well because customers knew who they were, what they were there for. And that's when we decided to get rid of um, the camera business. And we actually got into book distribution. So we used our logistics to actually say to publishers, hey, we can be a great distributor in this region. Why don't you point us as your distributor? So now we sell to ourselves, we sell to Amazon and and um, and Dimix and QBD and all Harry, Harry Hartog, Berkelow's readings, all the big bookstores, they're all buying from us. And then we now recently in the last couple of years got into publishing, so more into books. And I think um, not everyone gets to hear that part of the story about Booktopia, but it is important when you're trying to set, we just talked about goal setting and, and, and forging new, you know, new territories, new boundaries, um, where, where are we going to go from here? Um, it's easier, it's easier when you just do one, focus on one vertical and just do that really, really well. It's my, that's my experience yeah. of it. So I, I really like that because, yes, the core focus is paramount. I think um, Bain or McKinsey have a adjacency model, how far you can actually stretch. And they do that within career side, but also business. And sometimes you think you can do it all, but you can't stretch. So the core focus behind a revenue or profit stream is huge. Equally, though, what an amazing experience that you've actually had to have gone within an area that was like a learn, test, learn, and you didn't bet the whole whole business. And the learnings that have come from that is, right, we're best where we focus on our core capability and competency set. We can slightly uh, move within relevant adjacencies, but anything beyond that will actually distract us. Now that's embracing a failure mindset and it's totally okay to fail. And a lot of people, when they do fail or they go down a path that hasn't been that successful, they really ruminate and they give themselves a hard time. And I talk around this whole sort of concept of embrace failure, but learn from it. As long as you get a learning and an insight, and you think around that insight that you've just got from that, that will stay with you and the Booktopia core business and uh, associates employees um, for life. And it's one of those things, as long as you can learn from those mistakes itself, and the other thing I, I liked on that, the mere fact that you wanted to do something different in the first place. I've got a chapter which I talk around called constant dissatisfaction. And it's not a good type of dissatisfaction. There's healthy and constant. And unfortunately, I've got constant, which means even if things are working, the status quo, I want to do it differently. And it can drive people absolutely nuts. And that's where you need good people around to say, get back in your box, Hamish. But Looking at the business, looking at what people are doing overseas in your example, um, how can we do it differently? How can we be a fast follower but do it slightly differently? Um, 
that's actually really inspiring around that. And one of the books I know you guys have had great success with that Michael Watkins' first 90 days. And he talks around four st uh, stages of a business, startup, turnaround, realignment, and maintaining success. I love the book. I don't read too many <laughs> business books. I get bored senseless. He's got this area around maintaining success. And when I hear that, that just means decline to me. And it reduces a pressure valve within the business. So every business that I'm involved with, and even some of these startups and PE exploration at the moment, I think it's best when you treat it like a turnaround. You're never happy with where you are at the moment, even if you've got good resources, uh, even if you've got good results. So um, I like that inspiration of always looking differently and learning from those uh, mistakes. Mm. And I think think it's very valuable. Yeah, I mean, um, 200 million, 300 million is, you know, the focus now revenue, 400 million after that, 500 million is just, it's um, you know, it's pretty pretty um, sequential, really. We're coming to the end of our time, um, Hamish, and of course that sucks, but um, it's been great. Is there anything like um, that we haven't kind of touched on in the conversation? You thought, oh, we you know, we really didn't go over that in the book, or any anything else that you want to leave us with um, before we have to head off? No, I think uh, I, th I think I'm. You know, reasonably sort of, you know, a couple of and enjoyed the discussion. Just one area that was raised to me yesterday, I did a uh, session with the public uh, service group, and I've, I've never done that before, <laughs> you know, corporate and private and commercial. Um, so it's totally sort of out of my comfort zone. But they talked around uh, the element of uh, when you have an ineffective leader or a bad boss and uh but a couple of things which I've covered about bad boss and getting a grilling, you know, when you get a serve and you get sort of told, told sort of off, be that at home or at work. And their whole philosophy was most people move on and walk away from a bad boss and look for another job or look for a different company. Um, and it was just a reminder on this that when you do get a bad boss in the, or a grilling, there's real benefits out of it. You have within your psyche to never repeat that bad behavior. And that's incredibly valuable. And most people forget around you learn more what not to do than what to do. And the other one about uh, when you do get a grilling, it's, um, it's more around the context as opposed to the content. So when you do get a serve, and I've had them a lot over the years, I start now not to think around the content, the message. It's more why are people so emotional? Why are they giving me this message in the first place? So my hope for people listening, because you always come across a bad boss, you always get a hard time, um, don't get too depressed or deflated. Actually, almost smile to yourself and think, gee, there's going to be a gold nugget coming out of this in the end. Because um, I hate to see people walk away from uh, situations or companies, which then sometimes are amazing, purely because of a bad boss experience. Mm, yeah, I mean, we do. We're learning from everything that happens, and quite often we're learning. I mean, most, you know, most first marriages, um, the second marriage is a is a one eighty degree, uh, you know, rebound to whatever it was that you agreed to sign up for in the first marriage. Um, and and so it's, it's a bit like that with work but it is definitely about taking those learnings when 
we, we tried to IPO in 2016, spent a few million dollars on attempting to do that. We didn't have the money um, set aside to do what we thought we were going to list and it didn't happen. And we had to come up with the money ourselves by selling more books and paying down the, you know, the, the um, PwC and the lawyers and whoever else that had helped us that had these outstanding bills. So, uh, but it was a dry run. And although um, um, we put a lot of effort into the first one, the the learnings that we had got by by going through roadshows, by by building the story, by doing um, all the verification that you've got you've got to put together in terms of your contracts and things when the auditors go through and prepare you to make sure that they can sign off on the prospectus that everything's in place. So it was was very valuable to have done it as costly as that was, but that meant that we could get our 2021 away you know, fairly swiftly because we had already had that experience. I, at the time, it took me about three hours to grieve the fact that we didn't, um, we didn't get it away. Um, and then it just felt like one door closed and another 10 opened. Uh, but my, my deputy CEO, who is 20 years younger than me, it took him a good three weeks to, to reset. And it's really important to be able to, to quickly start um, um, considering the, the learnings and moving away from the upset and the disappointment and the emotion that is attached to something not working out the way that you wanted, for sure. So but this has worked out well, this conversation. But thank you, Hamish Thompson, for your time and congrats on your book, It's Not Always Right to Be Right and Other Hard-Won Leadership Lessons, published by Wiley, available on Booktopia or all bookstores around Australia. Um, uh, and uh, read it and immerse it, immerse in the information because you're going to be of more value to yourself and to your family and to others. Thank you so much for your time and we wish you well with the success of this and whatever whatever comes next. I assume uh, some large multinational corporation is, is waiting for you to come back onto the uh, back onto the market and they're gonna they're gonna snap you up really quick. Congrats and, and thank you. Thank you, Tony, and uh, congratulations to you and the team on the IPO. Uh, inspirational. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.